Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bcc.church. When we were worshipping this morning, um, God gave me a word and um, he showed me, um, and it fits well with what I want to bring this morning um, in our kingdom influence. God showed me, you know, when you go sunbathing, now I don't like sunbathing, but when you sunbathe, you place your towel down in full view of the sun, don't you? Because you don't want half a tan, you want a whole tan, and then as the sun moves, you pick up your towel and you move it, don't you? So that you're fully facing the sun. And when the sun moves again, you pick up your towel and you put it so that you're fully facing the sun. And God said to me when we were worshipping this morning, some of us are not fully facing the sun. You know, when circumstances and situations of life come, we stay where we are and often paralysed, but the sun is moving and we're only getting a shadow of what we really need from the sun. And God said that he wants us to have him front and central in everything that we do. And just like I look through my glasses at everything I see, so I should be looking through Jesus at life as it goes by day by day. And I think I just want to encourage you this morning to, as we go through God's word, because at the end, I felt yesterday when I was finishing this off, at the end of the message, I want to pray. And I want to just ask us to reflect on this and to ask God, God, where am I not? Where have I not got you front and central? Where have I allowed circumstances of life to take me off on a tangent such that I'm now actually not fully facing you and I'm not experiencing what I need from you in my situation and my circumstance? And so as we go through this, just kind of check yourself. Am I facing true north? <laughs> Am I, have I really got God front and central? And if you haven't, don't beat yourself up. Because we all need to make that constant adjustment. You know, when life's trials and tribulations come along, we all have to make that adjustment to refocus ourselves on God and seek God. Um, So this morning I want to talk about uh, the second part of kingdom language. And I want to speak about out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I want to speak about the relationship between our heart and our mouth because it is absolutely vital, because it's very apparent from Scripture that what is in our heart will come out of our mouth. And so often, and I know I grew up in a family where we had a huge sense of humour. My father was the instigator. There was a lot of laughter in our family growing up, but sometimes at somebody's expense, and often it would be my mother, unfortunately. But, you know, we sometimes will say something, and then we say, oh, I was only joking, Well, were you really? (laughs) You know, because that what you said has now wounded somebody. You've said it at someone's expense. It might have been a joke, but actually what it all it was doing really was elevating you above them. And sometimes we say, Oh, I didn't mean it. Well, if you didn't mean it, why did you say it? Because it's actually rooted in something. 
And so we can't get away with those excuses. And I can remember, you know, laughter in our family would sometimes end up in tears because we'd just gone a bit too far with our jesting about whatever it was we were talking about. And as I, I went away, as you know, when I um, was in my 20s, and when I came back, I found this really, really hard because I'd grown out of that kind of humour. And when I came back um, into the family fold, I didn't find it funny anymore. <laughs> and they couldn't understand why I didn't find it funny anymore. But I didn't because actually it was hurtful. And so... I want to focus us this morning on out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, when I spoke a few weeks ago about kingdom language, I spoke about the fact that, you know, God has invested creative power in his word. I spoke about that both faith and fear are produced by hearing words and that the tongue has the power of life and death in it and that we should choose life and if you weren't here and you didn't hear it then maybe you might want to go back it's on the Facebook page or on the website and have a listen to that but I want to focus today on the relationship between our mouth and our heart and how it affects our lives we know that some countries don't have their own language so for example America America doesn't have its own native language. It has lots of languages. It doesn't have its own language. What is its main language? English. Why is English America's main language? Well, because we went and conquered them. We went and um, got in our ship and we went off and we went to colonise America. So when we did that, we took with us not only our culture we took with us our language. I was very conscious when I went to live overseas. When you live in another country, unless you're living in the embassy, you cannot live according to your own culture because you've stepped into a different culture and there'll be a clash with some things. I was incredibly British, um, but it didn't go down well. Um, And I had to, when I went to other countries, I had to learn to adapt my culture. But sometimes... When you go into another culture, you have to look back at the origin to see the language that they speak. If you want to know why Americans speak English, you need to go back in history, don't you? And why do Australians speak English? Well, because we sent all our convicts over there. So, So you look back in history and you can understand why that particular culture speaks that particular language. So if we want to understand why kingdom culture has a language, we need to go back into the origin of that culture and look at... Um, how it started. So to understand the language of culture, you need to go back to its origins. So I showed you this slide last time, and I'm not going to read it because you know it. It's the beginning of Genesis where God said, let there be, let there be, let there be, and there was. So God spoke into being the light and the heavens and the earth and the vegetation and everything. God spoke it into being, and it was. But There's more to this than the fact that God just spoke it. God was setting a pattern. He was setting a pattern for his creative word, not just for himself, but for us. There's a pattern here which we we see in Scripture. And if you understand a bit of theology, I understand a bit, it's the law of the first mention. This is where, in the Bible, if you want to understand the meaning of something, you look back in Scripture to see where was it first mentioned. And this pattern is first mentioned right at the beginning in Genesis 1. 
that when God speaks, something happens. And that pattern was established, as I say, not just for God, but for us. Um, And if you look in Genesis 2, we read this, so that the Lord formed, and that word formed, it means squeezed into shape. From the ground, all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to man and he, to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name, and that word name means character for each one. And he gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. Now, look at what was happening here. So when you think about a name in Scripture, you think about character. Jehovah Shalom, God my peace. Jehovah Shammah, God is here. Every name in scripture has a meaning and that meaning is part of the character of that person. So we're not just talking about saying giraffe or elephant. We're talking about putting character into that animal. So look what was happening. This is a picture of what was happening. So first of all, it says God took some earth and he squeezed it into a shape, and then he gave it to the man, Adam, and said, what do you want to call it? What kind of nature do you want to put into it? Isn't that interesting? This is man's first experience of co-laboring in creation with God. Now, lots of people think that we came from monkeys. Well, if you want to think that, that's fine. I don't think that. I think monkeys came from us. It's the other way round. Adam was the one who said, monkey, you will be like this. Giraffe, you will be like this. Lion, you will be like this. This is God's first example of co-labouring. And when we behave badly, isn't it any wonder people say, oh, you're like an animal? Because Adam was the one who put the character into the animals. Monkeys didn't come from us. They come... Uh, We didn't come from monkeys, they come from us. Adam was the one. God said, right, I'm scooping up, I'm shaping and I'm squeezing together. This is the shape I've made. What do you want to call it? What nature do you want to put in it? What character do you want to put in it? Adam said, well, that one will be a lion. It will be ferocious. It will be the king of the jungle. It'll be." He put character in. And this is the first example. This is God co-laboring with man to create something through his spoken word. Um, and this is what it looked like. So <clears throat> Paul then goes on to, um, in Corinthians to affirm this for us because he said, for we are laborers together with God. He said, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. So we know, and there are other scriptures which talk about being co-workers and co-laborers, and it's right at the very beginning of the Bible, the law of first mention where God describes what that would look like. So we have to see ourselves as co-laborers. We have to see ourselves with God, with his word, with the power of the word. What does God want to create? That same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells where? In us. That same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me and it will quicken my mortal body. And we need to understand what God's intention is in that creative sphere. There's no mistaking that God wants us to work together with him. And it's not just a a mere obeying of God, okay? It's a knowing of God. 
It's a knowing of God, and that's a much deeper level of knowing. It's saying, actually, I've got responsibility alongside God. I've got responsibilities as a believer in God to achieve his purposes on the earth. It's not a choice. I'm a co-laborer. Think of two ox in a yoke. If one is pulling and the other isn't, you'll just go round in circles, won't you? We're co-laborers. We're with Christ. We have a responsibility to achieve his purposes on the earth because that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me. It's a deeper level. It's knowing God. It's not, it goes beyond obeying God just because he says it. And if we look at Jesus' life, we need to remember that everything Jesus did was in the context of kingdom. Jesus didn't have any downtime from the kingdom. He didn't say on Wednesdays and Fridays, I'm going to go off and do something different. Everything Jesus did was in the context of the kingdom, day and night, 24-7. His whole life was eat, sleep and breathe the kingdom as a way of life. He came, he said, that's why I've come. I've come to establish a kingdom. And it means that every aspect of his life was infused with kingdom kingdom thinking in such a natural way. If you like, it was his default modus operandi. He couldn't be any other way because he'd come to bring a kingdom on earth. And he called us into co-laboring and has asked us to pray, let your kingdom come. Our responsibility to let God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. But Jesus, that was everything. You could cut him in half like a stick of rock and it would say kingdom of God. There was nothing else about him except kingdom infusion. When he was 12 years old, he went to Jerusalem and he recognised the responsibility to teach the scriptures. As a carpenter growing up, he would have worked with diligence. He was a man. Even though he was God, he was a man on earth. He would have still worked according to kingdom principles with all diligence. The way he treated people would have been with kindness and compassion. He would have spoken truth. And he didn't say what people wanted to hear to make himself popular. He spoke truth. He spoke truth and life. He upheld kingdom principles at all times. He allowed himself to be baptised, didn't he, by John? Not because he was a sinner, but because he wanted to set an example to show us the way that there was death to self and life in Christ. And that's why he did it. He didn't just speak the word. He lived the word. He was the word. So everything about him oozed the kingdom of God. It oozed the word of God. It oozed truth. So what does it mean for us then? Well, if we want our lives to be infused with kingdom thinking and behaviour, we've got to understand ourselves. We've got to understand how we work. And there's a scripture that's vital to our understanding among many. And I can't get away from this scripture. You will have heard me quote it before, but it's a very important scripture in my life and it has been for a very, very long time, years in fact. And, the, <clears throat> and it's this one. It says in Proverbs, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. That word guard, it means protect or maintain or watch over. Proverbs <clears throat> For in the King James says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. If you knew that something was going to determine the course of your life, would you not want to guard it? 
You know, we live often such a passive Christian life, but the Christian life has to be intentional. It's intentional. We don't just sit and grow as Christians by osmosis because we're sitting in church every week. Our Christian life has to be intentional. There has to be a guarding of our heart because it will, it will, it will determine the course of your life. And if we don't protect our heart, if we don't watch over it, what with all diligence, out of our issues, the issues that come out of our life will be influenced by what is in our heart. Everything about our life is connected to the condition of our heart. And that word course is the outgoings or the issues. So all the outgoings of our life in every area of our life is connected to the condition of your heart. Isn't it any wonder God has told us to guard our heart because it's going to determine whether we believe it or not, whether it's conscious or unconscious, it is going to determine the issues of our life. So let's just take a closer look at how our heart functions. And I've done it, illustrated it to you, um, with pictures for you because I hope that it will help because I'm a visual learner anyway. So it helped me to understand this and I hope it will help you to understand it as well. So here is our heart. So I've put the scripture at the top. Guard your heart above all else. Above all else. Not just as a by the way. Not just as a when you're in the mood. Above all else, guard your heart. So here's your heart. And the Bible, the biblical version of our heart is not this one that beats inside your chest. It's our will, our emotions, our mind and our understanding. And God says, this is what you need to guard. Your understanding, your mind, your will and your emotions. Why? Because it says, for the abundance of the heart is the mouth speaks. It says in the New Living Translation, what you say flows from what is in your heart. The New International Version says, from your mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So we've got our heart here with our will and our emotions and our minds and understanding. And what is saturated in there, the Bible says, it's going to overflow. It's going to overflow. Now, it might take a long time to fill up, but it will fill up and it will overflow. And what is in your heart is going to overflow into your life. And there we are, walking off into life. So it says that it's going to affect the issues of our life. What are the issues of our life? Well, these are all the issues of our life. Our choices, our values, our beliefs, our self-esteem, our attitudes, our culture, our purpose, our direction, our career, our family, our relations, our finances, etc., etc. These are the issues of our life. And the Bible says that what is in here, what you hold in here, will overflow into all these areas of your life. So therefore, if we know that, and that's how it's going to work, we need to guard, the Bible says, guard your heart. Guard your heart. So what we pour into here is really important because this is what's going to influence the issues of our life. What do we have that, we use to feed our heart, well, it's our senses. 
It's our hearing, our seeing, our feeling, our touching and our tasting. And day after day, we pour that into our heart. And as we journey in life, whatever we are doing on our journey, whether it's happy and joyous, whether it's disappointing and frustrating, whatever we're doing, that's what we are pouring day by day into our heart. And that's why the Bible says we have to guard that. It doesn't say guard your mind, although we do need to guard our mind. It says guard your heart because we're constantly pouring things into our heart. And what we probably don't realise is that that is the greatest area of influence over my life. My heart and what's in my heart and what I think and what I feel and what I touch and what I taste is what is going to influence my life much more than anything else. But actually what other people influence is this. Other people influence my senses. What I watch on the television, what I hear on the television, what I hear other people saying, what I feel when people speak to me, what I touch and what I taste, all those things as I go about my daily life are going to be influenced by the likes of everybody else around me. But what I do with it and how I pour it into my heart is what's going to affect me. And that's why when other people come at us with anger or rage or whatever, your response won't affect them. Your response and my response will affect me because I'm pouring it into my heart. And that's why in the face of anger or rage, we can stand and say, okay, we don't have to respond because my response is what's going to affect my life. It's not going to affect the life of that person. And so it's so important how we feed ourselves and what we focus on. And what we need to focus on, of course, is the Word of God. And the Bible is very clear. It says things like, fix your eyes on Jesus. Set your heart on things Above, setting and fixing our intentional actions. They're not osmosis. They're actions. And we need to, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is. And in our tasting and our seeing and our hearing and our touching and our feeling, we need to be centred true north, fixing our eyes on Jesus, not on other people on Jesus, so that actually what we're feeding in our heart is being guarded. Um, Dallas Willard says this, the ultimate freedom we all have as human beings is the power to allow what, oh sorry, what we allow our minds to dwell on. The ultimate freedom that we have as human beings is that we have the power to allow what we um, allow our minds to dwell on. What do you let your mind dwell on? Don't answer that. What do we allow our mind to dwell on? But we have the power to say, no, I'm not going to dwell on those things. Because when we dwell on something, and I can only speak as a woman, because I am a woman, but I know women, we dwell on things and we chew it over and we dissect it and we rearrange it and we could have said this and we could have said that and why didn't we and... You know, we dwell on things, we chew it over far too often and get ourselves into a state over it. We can choose not to dwell on something. It's a human right, if you like. um, Viktor Frankl said this, he said, everything can be taken from a man but one thing. 
the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. (coughs) If you've never read Viktor Frankl's book on man's search for meaning, it's a very thin book, it's a good read. And he was a prisoner of war in the Second World War and he was in the German um, war camps and he saw incredible suffering and he went through immense cruelty and suffering himself. But he trained himself to choose how he was going to respond. He trained himself to choose the attitude to which he would respond to what was happening to him. And I always say, when people say, oh, you make me angry, I say, I can't make you angry. It's your decision, to your reaction toward me. I might provoke you, but I actually can't get inside your brain and, and make you angry. Nobody can make you angry. You choose how you want to respond. And if you respond with rage, it's because that's a learned behaviour. You can learn not to respond with rage. In fact, the Bible says very clearly that water on a fire will put it out. (laughs) But we so often throw petrol on the fire because we want to have our say. And so we can choose where we set our mind. We can choose how we set our heart. And and it's important that we do so. and David said, David knew exactly what this was like. And he cried out to God, God, post a guard on my mouth. Set a watch on the door of my lips. How many times have I prayed that? God, set a guard on my mouth. Help me. God knows that we struggle to manage our tongue. James tells us that we can't control our tongue. But David said, God, guard my mouth. Guard my mouth. If I was at work and I knew that I was going into a very difficult meeting um, over something, before I went in, I would say, God, guard my mouth. Guard my mouth that I may not sin against you in what I'm saying. He also, um, <clears throat> in Psalm 141, post a guard on my mouth. Job said this, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to lust after a young woman. How many of us have made a covenant with our eyes? not to look at things that feed our heart that now become the issues of our life. I think that is incredibly powerful, to come before God and just to say, God, God, I'm going to make a covenant with my eyes. Every time something comes on the television that I don't want to influence my heart, I'm going to turn away. Now, most of my family are unbelievers. And so when I'm with them, we, do, we, have a, <clears throat> we might sit down in the evening to watch a film. And it's usually something that I would prefer not to watch. But I can close my eyes at times. I don't have to watch it. I don't have to hear it. I can shut myself off to it. And so we need to think about, once you have seen something, you cannot get that out of your mind. Once you have exposed your eyes to something, you cannot erase it. And it's the same with hearing. So if we choose to look at things which are then going to become issues for our life, we have actually not set a guard on our eyes. And so we need to come before God. God, I'm going to make a covenant with my eyes that I will not look at things that I shouldn't look at because I know that will feed my heart and out of my heart will come the issues of my life. In the Psalms, David said this, I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. 
I hate all who deal crookedly. I will have nothing to do with them. I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. That's incredible. So David knew and Job knew that our senses are what feed us. And he knew, they both knew how hard and difficult it is. If he wanted to make a covenant with his eyes, how powerful is that? And the breaking of a covenant um, was a significant thing. And so it's important that we guard our senses. Our senses will not say to us, enough. Your eyes will not say to you, enough for one day. Your your, um, hearing will not say to you, enough for one day. Our senses need to be under our control. And we need to tell our senses when enough is enough. I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. How about we get up every morning and we say that? How about we say, God, I want to make a covenant with my eyes. It's important that we guard our senses. We can choose not to indulge our senses. Is that easy? No, it's not. I know it's not easy to indulge. It's not easy to withhold indulgence from our senses, especially when it's cake. <laughs> I know how hard it is, but it's not impossible. And if I know that it's going to feed the issues of my life, then I've got a reason, haven't I? I've got a reason to hold back and I've got a reason. We can train ourselves to study and meditate on God's word. It's that that we need to be feeding into our senses. It's that that we need to be feeding into our heart. Just as Viktor Frankl trained himself to choose how he was going to respond in circumstances, we can train ourselves. After all, the only reason we've become like we've become is through repetition, isn't it? Our behaviours that we manifest are because that's how we grew up or that's how life has taken us. They've become learned behaviours. We can learn another behaviour, but it's got to be intentional. We can consciously practice self-sacrificial actions. Or you married people. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm talking to everybody. We can consciously practice self-sacrificial actions. Just because you're single, we can be very, very selfish. Single people can be very selfish. I'm just going to do what I want to do, thank you, when I want to do it, as often as I want to do it. But actually, we can practice self-sacrifice. We can become a person who always looks out for other people. Because everything we are, the issues of our life, are coming out of what we've put in our heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth has spoken. And once it's revealed the heart, it's too late. Don't tell me you didn't mean it once you've said it. You did. Because where was it rooted? It was rooted in your heart. It's very easy to assess when somebody's angry. You can hear it. You can hear it coming out. It might not come out as shouting, but you can hear it. And why is it that we need to have to guard our heart so much? It's because Proverbs tells us that deceit is in the heart of them that imagine evil. And the heart is deceitful above all things, and it is exceedingly corrupt. So... Our heart is not this nice little round thing that we like to draw or we like to do this about, whatever you do. It's not that. Our heart, the Bible says, is deceitful. And the deceit in the heart is from those who imagine evil. Where do you imagine evil? In your mind. 
So when you imagine evil in your mind, it will actually come into your heart and feed your heart and it will come out in your actions. The heart is deceitful above all things and it's exceedingly corrupt. We can fool ourselves into thinking that we can control our heart's output, but whilst it might take a long time to fill up our heart, it will overflow. And it sometimes can burst out. Have you ever been with somebody and then suddenly, out of all context, they're raging about something which was very minor? Why has that happened? Because they've allowed something to build up in their heart. It might come out in passive aggression. I know plenty of people who are passive-aggressive. That They pretend to be calm, but actually they're very controlling in that calmness and they're being quite aggressive in their apparent passiveness towards you. It might come out in a trickle or it might overflow. And I've had experiences in my life where my heart has overflowed out of the abundance of my heart. In 2010, my father died and it was quite traumatic leading up to his death. It was a very intense period. Um, and because of who I was in the family, my family wanted me there to try and sort it out and to um, communicate with the... He was in hospital with the doctors. And I was very, very angry about the way my father was treated. And I, but I had to hold on to that anger because of the situation and thought, I'll deal with it afterwards. But two days after my father died, I was supposed to be teaching at work. I was teaching a three-day course. <clears throat> and it was too late to cancel the course and there was no one else to teach it. And I actually felt OK. I thought, it'll take my mind off it. But of course, I was teaching death and dying. But um, I thought, take my mind off it. And after the first day, somebody came up to me and they said, why are you so angry? I said, am I? <laughs> they said, yeah. Now, how did they know? They didn't know what had happened to me. They knew because it was leaking out. It was leaking out in the things that I was saying because I was angry about the, the way my father had been treated. And you may have noticed in, you know, a couple of years ago when I took a period out from not preaching was because my brother-in-law died. And I knew full well that if I stood up here on the platform, what would come out of my heart? Grief. You don't need to hear my grief. I'm not up here to share my grief with you. I'm up here to, to bring you the word of God and to equip the church. So when I know that there's something in going on in my heart, I know it will come out through my mouth. And I've had that experience a number of times. <coughs> um, even when, um, when I've been coming in on a Sunday to preach and somebody's given me an earful outside, an ear bashing outside. Don't think it doesn't happen, it does. Ear bashing outside and I've now got to come in here and stand up here and I'm thinking, you know, I have to quickly get my heart right in order to be able... Because you don't want to know that. You want to know. But I know it will leak out. I know it will leak out. And so we need to be able to guard our hearts. So why does all this matter? Why does all this matter? Well, because life and death is in the power of the tongue. And we cannot speak life if death is in our heart. We cannot speak truth if deceit is in our heart. We cannot speak... Love, if hate is in our heart, we cannot speak forgiveness if unforgiveness is in our heart. Whatever is in your heart is what's going to come out. We won't be able to speak abundance if frugality is in our heart. <clears throat> we won't be able to speak joy if sorrow is in our heart. And it's so important that we focus on getting our heart right in order to um, consider the output from that. 
Whatever our senses deposit in our heart is what we will speak. Whatever our senses deposit in our heart is what we will speak. And we cannot speak kingdom language if we're living carnally minded. If we're living by the ways of the world, you will not speak out kingdom language because you're filling your heart with the ways of the world. And the Bible says, be transformed in the renewing of your what? Mind, not your heart, because your mind is going to feed your heart. So be transformed in the renewing of your mind. For all of us, and I include myself, for all of us, we need some training and retraining of ourselves in the scriptures to transform the way we think, to transform the responses and the reactions that we have to things, to immerse ourselves in the word of God. So the word of God becomes what comes out, what we feed into our heart and what comes out. Jesus was kingdom-minded through and through. He immersed himself in time with the Father, didn't he? We know that he did. He knew the scriptures. Jesus knew the scriptures. It says we know that at that time, Jewish education was focused on the Old Testament. They didn't have other textbooks. Jewish education for young children was focused on the Bible. And young men particularly learned to what? To know the scriptures by memory. They would learn the scriptures. And we know that Jesus from an early age, he would have known scripture by heart because that is the way he would have been taught. The backbone of all ancient Jewish education was scripture alone. How much do you know of the Bible by heart? How much of the Bible do you and I know by heart so that in any given circumstance we can feed something into our heart that will come out of our mouth? If you don't know the scripture, if we don't know the scripture, what will come out of our mouth is the natural reaction of the world because that's all we know because we've been feeding it that all our lives. Jesus was wholly in tune with the Father through the ancient scriptures. Could the worship team come back up, please? If we want to see transformation in our lives and in our world, then we've got to start at the very beginning. We've got to start with how we feed our senses. We've got to start with what we're putting into our heart. I, I think in the last seven months since I've been retired, I have had so much time to look at what's going, around, going on in the earth. And if there's any time like now that we needed the kingdom of God, we need it now. It's very easy when you get up every morning and go to work or go to school to forget what's happening in the world. But actually, what's happening in the world needs the kingdom of God. Every day you open the paper, somebody's been killed or stabbed or raped or murdered or... You know, we need the kingdom of God. We need to see the manifestation of it on the earth. We want to, if we want to transform our lives in our world, then we've got to start at the beginning. If we're not speaking in agreement with God, then there's something wrong. Can two walk together lest they agree? If we're not agreeing with God, if we're not speaking kingdom language, if we're not speaking life, then we're just sabotaging ourselves. Church, shall we stand? I want to pray. And we're closed with a song, as we always do. I just want to pray. Just think for a moment as we pray. 
You know, the Bible says that lifting up our hands is a sign of surrender. Sometimes it's good just to lift up your hands and as a sign of surrender to God. And as we do, I just want you to focus yourself front and centre. Is God front and centre? Is Jesus front and centre? Is truth and the word front and centre in my life? Do I filter all the issues of my life through the word of God? Where do I need some retraining? And I include myself in that. Where do I need some retraining, God? Where do I need some refocus? God, let your kingdom come. God, we need your kingdom and we want to speak life. We want to walk in agreement with you, God. We want to know you. We don't want to know you just to obey you. We want to know you. We want to know your plans and purposes. We are your church. We are your body. We are your people, saved by the grace of, your, of Jesus Christ. And we are so grateful. But God, we want more. We want more. We want to see you move in our nation. Our government, Lord, is in chaos. God, we want to see you move. We want to see you raise up justice and righteousness. God, we want to speak life into our country. We want to speak life into our government. <clears throat> we want to speak hope and peace. But God, we need to, you need to begin with us. We need to walk in agreement with you. And so God, I pray this morning that we will not leave without resetting ourselves before you this morning. We will not leave, Lord, until we've, we've set our true north, as it were, to look to Jesus, to set our hearts and to set our minds on you. Lord, you are our life. You are our hope. You are our peace. You are everything, not just for us, but for this world. And if we really believe, Lord, that the local church is the hope of the world, then God, we need to rise up. We need to rise up. God, help us. Help us, oh God. Have mercy on us, God. Help us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.